Hang on. Say something, Mets. That's how I live my life. Maybe just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. How about that? Whoa, dude. Too much. Too much. Just a <laughs> little bit back. I'm just barely adjusting it, dude. My just, I mean, just a little bit back. Here we go. Hey. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Hey, apologies. I should have called you Father Mike. Oh, oh and I should have called you Father Rob. Yeah. Were you searching for a burn? There? No, I was I was thinking about possibly burning there. <laughs> <laughs> but you backed it off again. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I did. That's how I live life, I'm telling you. Oh, well, how do I sound? Do I sound okay? I mean, you sound okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. Um, one word to describe it. <laughs> I don't know. Blanche. <laughs> like from the Golden Girls? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a person's name? Blanche is a person's name. It's also a way well, it's to also cook. It's also an adjective. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't. It's also that, a way to cook mean? vegetables. Really? <clears throat> I said I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it involves boiling and then cooling with ice. I think you can blanch all sorts of things. Hey, do y'all mind if I blanch? Uh, just pour a cup of coffee right quick. It's upstairs. Did sure. I use that word right? <laughs> yeah, might as well. When in Rome. Mm-hmm. Are you? How you boil vegetables, right? Right. Hey, Bistron, by the way, thanks for calling me back last week. You know, that was awesome. I was really in need. Yeah, no problem. Yep. Thanks. Appreciate it. Did I call you? Yeah, I think you you. left a voicemail. I was in California last week. Cali, how was that? It was good. It was very good. Went camping with the bro dudes. Oh, nice. Up in the montanas. Where were you guys? We Mm -hmm. flew into Fresno. We were not far from Yosemite, but Yosemite is all closed because of incendios forestales. I read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it was a good time. What have you been up to? Priesting. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dude, I mean, we haven't talked since... Since Mike's Betz's ordination. Ordination? Wow. Golly, dude. Well, wow. I mean, since then, yeah, I literally just, like, moved and had a month at St. Boniface Parish. And then just got this week, today's my day off, actually, this week, hmm. because I had the campus ministry, like, gathering for the diocese mm-hmm. that went really good. So now we're gearing up to, like, add in the university stuff, but it's, it's been, I mean, it's been a whirlwind. It's been really good, but it's hmm. been a whirlwind. I literally don't know what I've done the past <laughs> month and a half. Well, this should be a good uh, podcast then. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. Are you all moved in? I am, yeah. I'm in my new abode. I have my little home office here with my standing desk that I'm talking to you from. Nice. You got the sound mics? You got everything set up? I got the mic stands. I got the sound mics. I got the mic board. I got the CompuBot. I got the icon of the three dogs (laughs) around a computer. Yes. And I have a guest bedroom bed, which also is, it's not just an office. It's also a guest room. Hmm. Huh. But it's great. I'm real close to the Newman Center. Speaking of campus ministry, we're getting a bunch mm-hmm. of renos done, renovationists. Um, 
getting ready for the students' return in a couple of weeks. I got all the Chicago seminarians, all but the college guys, um, all the Mundelein dudes for Chicago, are coming tomorrow morning at 8.15 to 8.30 to work all day. We're going to mass with the Cardinal at noon at the Newman Center. But other than that, I'm going to make them my servants. I'm going to I'm going to have the grace to let them be my servants and wow, paint, paint all my walls, uh, put in <laughs> brand new ceiling tiles, dig up oh, a what? bunch of dead plants in my uh, outdoor area, clean my pews, organize my sacristy. I'm going to let them be my servants. Dude, how, do you, how do you sign up for this? Maybe I can come. <laughs> oh, you want to come? I mean, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's going to be a fun day. Mm-hmm. We're going to have lunch and everything. We're going to feed them. <laughs> you believe that? They want me to feed these guys? I mean, how much burden are you going to put on me? Mm. 40 volunteers mm. and I have to feed them? You're the gall of these people. <laughs> no, but I'm pretty pumped. I, uh, I'm now like a full-on pastor with projects and dealing with the garbage this morning that didn't get picked up because we are throwing away all the old ceiling tiles, which were gross. Like we, we took down a couple ceiling tiles and the amount of dirt that came down was mm-hmm. uh, pretty gnarly. Ugh. So we just, and they all mismatched and some had leaks, like roof leak stuff on them from an old leak and they just didn't look you, good. So. You are, man. Like you are in the full swing yeah, of priesthood. The real glamorous, exciting stuff of priesthood. Ceiling mm-hmm. tiles. You're living it, mm-hmm. man. You just all this can be yours in just a few years, guys. <laughs> all when you, once you're done, like hearing confessions and saying mass and baptizing people, then you get into the real stuff of like accounting and bookkeeping and garbage, <laughs> ceiling tiles. <laughs> Dude, I'm drooling over you. <laughs> Let's call this episode "Ceiling Tiles." Okay. <laughs> A little premature, but I hope we talk about something else. (laughs) Your text was hilarious. uh, Running 15 minutes behind, will go as fast as I can. Then Seabisk chimes in. Want to say 10? I've got some garbage men to deal with. (laughs) It might take a few minutes. (laughs) I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was very curious. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, uh, when you, Rohimidors, want to... Pray it up. Rohimador. Nice. Uh, I'll pray. Yeah. Coolio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Relax. Thank you, Mike. Father Mike. Yeah. Well, I feel, that, problem, I feel that we should mention um, off the bat, because I've gotten some free coffee recently, that I'm, mm, I'm, dre- I'm drinking just... Guadalupe Rostri in the form of a latte right now, and it's delish. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. I recently got my shipment as well. Big thanks. And I'm pretty sold. I mean, this is good coffee yeah, we're talking truly. about here. Mm-hmm. Really good coffee. Agreed. Hey, and I and I do I have a shout out. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna do a shout out. This is for Abby Betancourt. Okay, she is the campus minister at our big Catholic high school here in Atlanta, St. Pius X. And I was with Father Ray Pineda last night. Mm. Uh we got to hang out, and he asked if she could have a shout-out. So, for sure, he says that she rocks, and uh, let's go Archdiocese of Atlanta and Pius. Yeah. Right on. A lot of campus ministry going on. Yeah. Abby sounds awesome. Abby, she is awesome. I've never met her, but Ray says that she's awesome. 
I trust and Ray. And son Francis. Yeah. Um, I've always trusted Ray. Did you guys get in your shipment, your most recent shipment of coffee, also like a newsletter? No. I think I, I got I think a sticker. Oh. I got a sticker that I now have on my desk calendar, hoping someone will ask me about it. <laughs> like in, well, like guys, I didn't get a sticker, so if they're listening... Um, I didn't mm-hmm. get coffee. Shame on you. <laughs> I told them I told them not to send it until I got back up to school. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but the newsletter but, was very cool. It was about a family um, who drinks Guadalupe, and they're just kind of like entrepreneurs and Catholics and big family. Mm. Um, so it's becoming not just a brand of coffee, but a lifestyle. Whoa. So, it is a lifestyle. And uh, I don't know if they made me... Uh, this isn't a great ad because I don't know even what I got. Um, I, I think they made me a member of a coffee club or something to get that newsletter. And I got a more slick bag with the pound of beans that I got. It was like silver instead of green. What? Yeah, it was nice. Wait, Whoa. what? So enter, go to guadaluperoastery.com, enter promo code uh, Brohemadors <laughs> or Brocephus or Brodudes or whatever. None of them are going to work, but buy the coffee and join the coffee club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, actually, you, you can enter. Those, I just, it doesn't work. The, yeah. What is it? Is it three dogs north, the promo code, three dogs north? Mm-hmm. Is it Brochachos for a 0% discount? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I think that's it. If you enter Brochachos, you get a 0% discount for a limited time. Run, don't walk. Yeah, to your computer. Well, that's all I had on the Guadalupe. Uh, are we done? That's it, right? Um, like with the whole episode? Yeah, I, I, think, like I think we've we covered really a lot. Started here. All right. Well, <clears throat> if you insist, what do you guys been up to? Dude, well, some big news since the last time that we podcasted. Mm-hmm. What? We got new glasses. <laughs> 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 nice. Pretty excited about that. I mean, I'd say that's my big update. That's mm-hmm. Are they unique. similar to Rob's old glasses that came free with his Nintendo DS? Oh. <laughs> wow, dude. That is a deep wound in your heart. <laughs> it's an old you, cut. You God hated those glasses. <laughs> they looked like they came free with a with a Nintendo DS. Hey, your dad got those same glasses too, didn't he? My dad or Rob's dad? No, 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 no. Rob's dad. I think they had the, y'all had the same glasses for a time. No, they were cool glasses. They were they were mine. They were awesome. Yeah, they were very cool. They weren't the glasses of the new evangelization, but no, my dad has the glasses. Mike, you're you're talking about the original set of quote unquote oh, Game Boy glasses that I you got. Are right. That Connor did hate with a passion. <laughs> then, <laughs> then I got the glasses of the new evangelization, which uh, my dad also has. Right. Those I like. Now I have, I call them priest glasses. They're rimless. Are they rimless? Uh, almost. They're like half rim, small. Uh-huh. You know, just a rim yep. on the top. Yep. Yeah, exactly. those are priest no, they glasses. Are, they're, they're straight up. They're priest glasses. Mm-hmm. Dude, I just are. got those. Did you get a priest those car yet? I got half rims. Yep. Nope. Priest glasses. Sweet. I saw them. I remember when I picked these out. I was like, no, those are those are priest glasses. I need them. Wow, I need this. <laughs> and you know, you want to know why that works, Rob? Why? Tell because me. You're a priest. Whoa. What? And do you know what else? What? I'm also a priest. Oh, no. cool. Shut uh, up. <laughs> and I know that y'all know that because both of you are here. You saw it. Oh, that's right. I do remember that now that you mention it. Yeah. We took a picture, didn't we? Yeah, I posted it. I... Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. 
on Twitter. We took multiple pictures. Mm-hmm. It was a glorious occasion. Both so, were- Mike, how does it feel? Oh, gosh. Dot, dot. <laughs> how does well, it feel? Does it feel different? Oh, man. You feel different? Let me just let me tell you how it feels. It's, yeah. Uh, is it different? I don't know. Who really knows? Mm-hmm. What does different even mean? Uh, well, I will say just in the short time that I've been ordained a priest, I mean, I'm no veteran, but there's just a lot of things that happen mm-hmm. as a priest, like big life events in other people's lives that you're just immediately brought into. Uh, and it's like you're constantly being dunked into intense situations and then, and then you're, and then you're gone and then they walk out the confessional Mm -hmm. or, and then you like leave a camp or whatever. So it's just, uh, I don't know. It's been a lot in just two months. Good gravy. I still feel like I haven't really prayed with, uh, even like just being ordained and, um, it's kind of been go, go, go since being ordained, but all spectacular, spectacular um, ministry. And um, yeah, just short two months being a priest has been unbelievable, like better than I better than I even thought it was going to be. So, yeah, same man. I'll tell you what, this has been a and I guess I didn't just didn't think about this before. It's not that it's super surprising, but in the, I mean, I've been a priest like way longer than Mike, so I mean, I would know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I am like, I've just been so like deeply grateful for like the the priesthood as a priest, meaning like pretty much that I can I go to confession, and it, that's been like kind of what's anchored me because it it has been a whirlwind like the ba- the past month. I've moved. And you get thrown into all this stuff, which is all really, really cool and great. But it's just like you're just kind of trying to keep your head above water in a lot of ways is what I felt like. And um, so anyway, I've driven down like several mornings and gone to confession in St. Louis. I'm only like 25 minutes from downtown St. Louis and the cathedral there has confessions. Um, and yeah, I've, so I've just tried to make it a regular practice. And it's just been like I don't know I don't know why I just and I don't know why I didn't expect that necessarily but um, so you're priests as need a priest, priests as a priest you're more grateful now for other priests than you were before yes yeah exactly hmm. yes exactly yep um, so that's been really cool anyway that's hmm. been really really cool and the experience has been very good too of like it just been it's just like a really beautiful brotherhood that I've experienced in those moments. As well. Um, and, you know, a couple of times it's been like some real like actual veteran priests and they've just been like just super, super encouraging um, and and everything like guys, I don't even know. But um, yeah, I mean, you just, it's kind of like a it, maybe it is kind of felt in a different or in like a new way of like this is we're all on the same team here. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, so that's been really cool. When you yeah, go, Rob, because I haven't been as a priest with a priest I didn't know. Yeah. Um, do you tell them, like, before you start, hey, I'm a priest? Yeah, I have. I have. Yep. And I don't know why, but I think I, I have. And I think that's been, like, maybe three times. 
yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah, but I'll just, you know, introduce myself a little bit, say I'm a new ordained priest. I guess I don't, yeah, I don't feel like I have to, but I always have. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I've definitely... makes a lot more sense of uh, the confession if they know that. Exactly, exactly, yep. I've, I've experienced a similar feel with just the brotherhood of the priesthood, which I don't think I really expected that much. Like, I'd heard a lot of people just say, like, the brotherhood actually could be better and um, more, like, a negative perspective on that. But the priests have been incredibly welcoming and, um, like, everybody's opened up their doors to me. And um, I know it's it's very early and it's people are just excited that I'm ordained, but... I've certainly felt like a tight brotherhood with other priests in the diocese. And, um, yeah, yeah. Just priests around. I mean, so I, I also got to go to Malaysia. I don't know if you knew that Connor, but, I did. um, yeah. And even out there, like I was a priest and all the other priests out there that I got to see. And even like one of the bishops out there just like, didn't matter if I was ordained two, two weeks or, uh, you know, 20 years, like they just treated me like a priest. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, like, I, I almost felt like I wanted to caveat everything with, you know, I'm, I'm only like a couple weeks ordained. They're like, no, they didn't even think about it. I was like, you're just a priest. So you're doing all these other priest things. And, mm-hmm. uh, just like one of the boys. Yeah. Yeah. I went to was- Paris, uh, at the end oh of June. yeah! How was that trip? It was very cool. I went with my brother Tyler. Had a good time. We were only there for like six nights, I think. Um, stayed in an Airbnb right in the heart of the city, like a ten-minute walk from Notre Dame Cathedral. One of my things I wanted to do was can celebrate Mass at uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. So I went the day before, and I had brought clerics, but it was pretty hot, and I was walking. We were walking around a ton, so I didn't want to wear dress shoes and stuff. So. I went up in just shorts and a t-shirt and Birkenstocks to the desk and I was like, Hey, I'm a priest. Um, I'd like to can celebrate mass tomorrow. Um, and I expected to kind of like have to prove it. And the lady at the desk was like, okay. And she gave me all the instructions and, and anyway, the next day, first of all, I was, I was surprised the sun doesn't really go down in Paris in June until like 10 PM. Right. Yeah. So it was, it was hard to was go to like sleep 1030. at night, yep. um, at a decent mm-hmm. hour. And plus I had a little bit of jet lag left over from earlier in the weekend. So I slept a long time and we were kind of running a little bit late and we were hustling to the cathedral and they were already lined up to do the procession. And I just kind of like skipped the, this sounded elitist and everything as a priest, but I did have my clerics on and I I was just like, uh, coming through, um, (laughs) and ran to the back of the sacristy and the security guard was, um, he came up to me and I thought he was gonna be like, what are you doing here? But he, he just pointed me to the chasubles and what have you. And he said, you know, just go here back to the choir stalls and, um, the procession already started, but just kind of join with the others. There's two other priests can celebrating. He said, what the, where are you from? And I said, United States. And he says, yes, but what city? And I said, Chicago. And he said, oh, there's another priest here from Seattle. And I said, okay, cool. And, um, no sooner is he, had he said that, but the the procession comes up into the sanctuary, and <clears throat> I see that Jeff Moore is in the procession. No. Yeah, no. Guy, guy we went to seminary with from the Archdiocese yeah. of Seattle, <laughs> and um, 
Yes. He sits in the choir stall near the altar, and I just kind of sneak up through the back way and sidle up next to him, and I just go, hey, Jeff. And he looks at me like, what? <laughs> what are you doing here in Paris? <laughs> I guess he was on vacation with his mom and just doing some pilgrimage sites and stuff. Um, but it was very cool. The Mass was beautiful. They had this choir of uh, young people, boys and girls, and they sang the whole Mass in kind of a polyphony Latin chant. It was just unreal. And this uh, the main celebrant was this French professor at one of the universities there, he taught theology or Bible and uh, gave a great homily on the, I think it was birth of John the Baptist mm. was one of the Sundays this summer. Yeah. My brother kept a program and then we just met out in front in the plaza and had the rest of our day. It was pretty cool. But talking about that brotherhood of, of priests, it's uh, very cool to see the connection between us. And yeah, ideally we are all on the same team and we don't compete and get jealous of one another that stuff does happen sadly but uh oh yeah when oh, we're yeah. at our best we honor one another mm-hmm. yeah. and, and hold each other accountable yeah dude so when I, <laughs> when i was in malaysia there was uh like the it was the first one in the history of the church in malaysia they had a, a priest assembly and so literally every priest in the country was was at this big like convocation assembly type meeting all the bishops all the priests and so the diocese that i was at found out that i was going to be there and it's it's a decent sized diocese i guess um geographically it's very very large but i was relatively close to the cathedral and so i mean i would celebrate mass every morning for my group but even before i was celebrated mass for the focus group that i was with they would send a driver to pick me up and take me to the cathedral in the diocese. And I would celebrate mass for all the people in the cathedral of this diocese. And then they'd drive me back to my group, to our other parish that we were at. And I'd celebrate mass for them and then like be a priest for the day. But this bishop never met me, just found out I was going to be there and they had other priests. And so I would just go every morning and celebrate mass for him. Wow. And one of the last days that we were specifically like close to the cathedral, they had a Carmelite religious sister who was making her final professions. And so they invited us to go. We like went and stopped in and saw them. And um, it was super cool for all of our students to talk to the sisters. And like they took us back and we got to see them behind the grill and everything. Wow. And, um, mm. It was so, so we, so they told us like, hey, tomorrow we're actually going to have, yeah, a sister make her final profession. So they invited us back, and I went back and got to concelebrate at this final profession. And all the priests were back from their assembly, and the bishop was there, and um, it was just yeah, a very similar feeling. Well, one, a feeling of like, what is happening? Why? How am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally celebrating a final professions for a Carmelite sister, like <laughs> in Malaysia. <laughs> Just what is going on with this bishop who treated like I sat next to the bishop and next to the family of <laughs> of wow. the mom and the dad who gave away their sister. It was like mom, dad, brother, sister, Mike, bishop. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time, I mean, it's yeah. But it was definitely this this feeling of 
uh, yeah, I mean, just the brotherhood of the priesthood, but then also the whole church. <clears throat> like, mm-hmm. everywhere that I went, I was just a priest. Um, and I know it sounds so stupid to say, but across the board, like, no matter where I was, people just looked and saw a priest in me. Yeah. Um, no, that's true. Did you go, when you were in uh, Paris, Connor, did you go to the Miraculous Metal Chapel? Um, no, the St. Catherine Library. Yeah, thing. anyway, um, it's... If you go again, it's very cool. But I went there, so I was there right before, yeah, Metz's ordination. And so, but we went there, like, we just had, a, like, an hour. And so we got there, and I, I had clerics on. And actually, I mean, people in Paris were very friendly. Like, walking around with clerics was no big deal um, at all. But when I got there, it was like, all of a sudden, everybody knew that a priest was there. And uh, literally a line formed for me to like bless medals and, oh and stuff, <laughs> um, which was I, it was that had never happened to me mm-hmm. before. And the sisters were like telling people in the gift shop that like a priest was there. Mm-hmm. And so it, they would just literally they would stand in line and, um, you know, we do like two or three different groups at a time and they'd all throw out their medals or rosaries or whatever and and bless the stuff, which was super cool but i don't know it's so cool to be catholic i mean the same thing not not exactly what happened to you in at notre dame but when i was in lazoo i guess i did have clerics on but when i went into saint Teresa's basilica i mean I had no type of reservation etc and i speak probably like four words of french mm-hmm. and then these two church ladies and a guy who was talking to them that I think worked at the Basilica. I don't know for sure. Like between the three of them, they maybe spoke like six words of English. But like we kind of pieced together that I was wanting to say mass there. And they were so pumped about it. Hmm. I was like, especially the church ladies. I was like, I, okay, I know. I've seen you guys before, you know, like (laughs) um, no doubt about it. Um, And they were so fired up that a young priest wanted to to say mass there so they got everything set up i said mass there it was awesome it was awesome that was after you were ordained when did you go yeah well, i went we've been i was ordained on may 26th and then i flew out on june the first uh and we did like a we did like a week in rome then a yeah, CC, dude then i a haven't few days heard about your trip at all but this was oh, before mike's right. ordinate when was when were you ordained mike no, I dude. I seen June sixteenth. Did oh, I not right. tell you about this? I flew dude. back. I flew into Mike's ordination from Paris, literally, uh-huh. and so I was like, "Yeah, talk about a weekend." I mean, that was super fun weekend, by the way, Matt. Your family, yeah, that was rocked. so. so we could cool. do a whole podcast on like just the reflections on like, I don't know. You could only call it like tribalism about <laughs> hanging with your brothers for a week weekend. Yeah, so which it was, is in the so good sense. Cool. If there is a good sense of tribalism. Yes, like in the, yes, in the, in like the fierce loyalty and hijinks. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just so cool. Maybe, and I don't, yeah, maybe tribalism isn't the right word, but just the notion of like, like the basement. I don't know. You just had all your brothers were running around. It was so cool. I don't even know if you remember, but I slept in the basement room (laughs) after Connor left. And I was going to take a shower the next morning and I was having coffee and you said something about like, oh, yeah, make sure and lock the door 
you know, um, when <laughs> like when you take a shower, it's like, OK, and it's not that big of a deal, whatever. And and you were like, no, no, you don't understand. Like one of my brothers will like be in there brushing his teeth or using the toilet or something like that. If you don't do that, it's just like this free for all awesomeness at the meth house. <laughs> one one bathroom for like 18 people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it, it, at some point, not right now, but you have to tell the story, Rob, of you meeting Mary Margaret. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, your sisters are pretty darn cool, too. Oh, oh they, man. they are wonderful. Yeah. That, that story, her and I have laughed about that so hard. Since <laughs> I was like, Should I just tell I, it now? Yeah, I don't even want to hear it. Well, this, anyway, no. So I get like, I mean, I've I've lived off of Met stories, like Met's family stories for six years. And I had met Pat, Kevin, Mr. and Mrs. Metz, and then JP a few times. But your yeah, your sisters I I never met before. And so after your ordination, we're at the little reception and I'm just kind of walking around and talking to people. And I think I'm I don't know, it was one of your brothers, but like there's kind of a group and I was like, oh, that has to be like Met's family there. And it was, yeah, it was your sister Mary Margaret. So I go up to her and um, I'm like, hey, are you are you a Mets? And she goes, yeah, I'm Mary Margaret. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm Rob Johnson. I'm Father Rob Johnson. And just like total like blank stare, kind of like smiling to be nice. She's like, oh, wow. Yeah, great to meet you. Shakes my <laughs> hand and just turns around like on a dime. And I'm like, huh, that was. Just like not was I was expecting from meeting the Metzes, you know, it wasn't I wasn't rude or anything, but it's just like, OK, OK. And then she came up to me like 10 minutes later. And she was pretty pumped about it, but she was like, oh, your father, Rob Johnson, blah, blah, blah. So that was how I met Mary Margaret Metz. Shout out. Hmm. The way she tells the story is like some random stranger coming up going, yep, it's me. It's Rob Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Come here. Bring it in for a hug. Bring yep. For... Yep. And she was like, who is this guy? No idea. But then, it, yeah, it all clicked. The wheels started turning. Oh, yeah. man. It's, it's me. Stuff. It's Rob. <laughs> so good to meet you, finally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Great to meet you. Yeah. All that right, Rob. So creepy. Oh, what? Yeah. yeah. All right. I want to hear all about the trip, dude. Uh, so flew out on Friday to Rome. Um, so it's my mom and dad and I, and then like a bunch of my aunts and uncles and my grandma met us there. So dude, it was so much fun. Um, and yeah, so we did Rome for like six days and there was a bunch of Springfield guys at the knack. So father Dominic Rankin was a guy in my class who is a knacker and he had like lined up mass for John Paul II's tomb, Philip Neary's tomb, uh, Clementine Chapel at St. Peter's, like all these great spots. And then Michael Friedel, Father Michael Friedel was there finishing up his exams. So he showed us around and everything. So the dinners were awesome. And we just kind of hit like the major basilicas around Rome and like really did it as a pilgr- pilgrimage, which was super, super cool. Um, so I did have to go. I, I said mass at St. Peter's the first morning and oh. it was by myself. And like you just have to walk into the sacristy there and I could do it. It's actually like a really cool kind of flow once you know how to do it. But if you don't speak Italian and you're by yourself, it's insane <laughs> um, because, yeah, it's it's similar. Like they didn't ask for 
any identification, like, you know, you, you're supposed to have your Celebrate card with you, but it's just kind of like, yeah, over there. And they just like, sacristans just kind of like start vesting you. Like, it's insane. And no one really says anything. Um, anyway, thank God. And uh, like an American priest walked in, I could hear him speak in English. So he showed me around the first day. Um, and that was, oh man, it was, I don't even know what the highlight would, would be. We went up and had cigars with the Nat guys one night that have this really cool, like terrace overlooking Rome, St. Peter's. So it was really fun. And then, um, so we initially, we reserved the John Paul II tomb for mass on a Wednesday because Pope Francis was not going to be in town at the time. So like we just emailed, could we have it? And they assigned us a Wednesday. Um, anyway, long story short, they switched the, the Pope's schedule then, and he was going to be in town, which means St. Peter's is closed until like one o'clock on those Wednesdays because he has his audience. And so we were like, oh man, we don't know if we're going to get in all this stuff. So Friedel came down, um, who he has a Vatican ID and he speaks Italian. And I don't know, I think we may have gotten in without him, but I honestly don't know, because we had to go through like all these different guards, and there's this huge crowd um, that is like waiting for the audience outside. And we run in randomly to Father Steve Arisman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, no! with, with like a whole group from Springfield. So anyway, get this though. So we go back, we finally get back there. We're like just in the Vat- we're in Vatican City. It's like my family and I. And we, you know, I show the, I show them the paper for that one that we have John Paul II reserved. And typically, even if you have John Paul II reserved, like the pews are yours, but then people can continue to like walk like right behind the barricades because so many people want to pray at the tomb. Mm-hmm. But St. Peter's was closed. So literally, like there was probably no exaggeration. There was probably 100 people total in St. Peter's when we got in there. Because it was all just like priests that work for the Vatican saying their mass at that point. So like my uncle has a picture from way in the back of St. Peter's and no one else is in the picture. It's like a once in a lifetime thing. And then there was just like six of us at John Paul II's tomb. Um, So like no one else came in. We had as much time as we wanted. And like we got to go up. So I, I got to say mass like actually on his tomb. And um like, yeah, I mean, everybody got to come up and, like, touch the tomb. My mom's bawling, you know, all this stuff, just, like, saying thank you for my vocation to to the priesthood and, like, his witness and friendship and everything. So that was probably the highlight of the Rome time was Mass at John Paul II. Anyway. Um, and then you went from there to Vesu? Yeah, yeah. So um, went from there to Assisi for three days, then flew from Rome to Paris and did Lazoo for a full day, and then like Omaha Beach in the American Cemetery for a full day, and then we did like a six-hour kind of like run through Paris. Hmm. But then my brother, like him and his wife went into labor when we were in Paris, so we were like constantly on the phone and like FaceTiming with them Hmm. and everything, Um, which was, it was, yeah, just so cool. So anyway, I flew right from Paris to Chicago, had dinner with Father Presta and showered at his rectory and then caught like a red eye down to Atlanta, crashed in a hotel room and went to Metz's ordination the next day. Partied wow. up for the, for the weekend. It was it was great. Yeah, tons of graces from that trip. Dang. 
we're a incredible. we're a jet setting global group here. I know, man. Seriously. I just man. got back from. Um, I was telling Rob before you got got on Mike <clears throat> that I went to California for our yearly fishing camping trip with the with the bro priests priest bros. Right. Um, and that was pretty cool. It was a little uh, disorganized. Father Tom Byrne is normally the mastermind of these trips, and he was on his thirty day silent retreat for all of July. And uh, he met us out there in Kings Canyon National Park. Um, but it was just Father Nick Blaha and Father Scott Harder got out the earliest. And they came in on a Thursday night. And I don't know how much ch- camping you've done in like national forests and national parks. But um, depending on the place you're going, there can it can be pretty hard to find a campsite. And Yosemite National Park is basically all closed. You can get into certain parts of it, but the whole thing's pretty much on fire right now and uh so a lot of people are going to king's canyon which is not far the giant sequoias are there um you know the biggest trees on earth so it's a it's kind of a touristy camping spot and uh we we had to move all over the place at one place we were at a developed campsite for a little bit but then they had to get everybody out of there because of the water water shortage and because they had uh, running water there um but we ended up the last week it was just me, Father Tom Byrne, and Father Chris Forler for, from Evansville, Indiana. You guys wouldn't have known him. He was ordained uh, the year before I got to Mundelein, but I knew him from knowing Tom and Nick uh, in seminary. Anyways, um, so me, Tom, and Chris are just like in the wind. We can go wherever we want. We I think we had like five days left on our trip before we were going to take our red eye from Fresno back to Chicago, which I, I don't think I've ever done a red eye. And it stinks. Yeah, <laughs> the worst. Um, but it was the only thing out of Fresno direct to Chicago. So we sat in the airport on Sunday night or Monday night until like, well, I was supposed to leave at 11 p.m., but it left at 1.30. And the only oh. sleep I got, and then I had work the next day because we got all these projects going. I felt bad the whole time. I was trying to check emails, but I was mostly in the mountains. But a couple cool things happened on the theme of... Uh, priesthood so we say mass every day uh even when we're camping when we're on these vacations and um it can be a little awkward especially when you're in kind of a public outdoor campsite area you know you you don't really have faculties it's it's just you're saying a private mass but um i guess i learned my lesson that there's really no sense in being private or uh, God forbid, ashamed of being a priest, because the 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 thinking is always like, oh gosh, they're gonna think we're some weird cult wearing our white robes in the in the woods <laughs> and like hold folding our hands and saying quiet prayers. But um, one place we were at, we just got finished doing mass. It was the evening. It was like five p.m. And then we, we hadn't been done for like five minutes. And these two teenage boys come up to us in our campsite and said, um, hi, our mom wants to know if you guys want some carne asada. And we're like, yes, yes, we do. I was just about to make like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. And uh, I said, that sounds good. We went over there and this Asian lady comes right up to us from her camper and she's cooking these this delicious looking beef and tacos and stuff. And she just gives us all big hugs without, she just goes, hi, father, and hugs us all. And her husband shakes her hand and he's like, 
one of those guys that's eager to be like, I'm not a great Catholic. I'm not super devout, but she is. But, uh, you know, I try to help out at the church and like, dude, I'm not interrogating you, but just being, <laughs> <laughs> being a priest kind of brings it out of him. He's like, I'm an usher, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't pray that much. I, I, I probably should more. I should probably go to confession. I haven't been in a long time, but blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, dude, relax. We're just going to come eat your tacos, dude. Um, <laughs> So that was a cool experience. And then they kind of stayed our friends the whole time and offered us food and things like that. Uh, one time we were, so the first campsite we were in was like in the middle of nowhere. It was actually closed. The road down to this, um, developed forest service campsite was closed because they were doing this project work. They were cutting down a bunch of bug killed trees to, uh, thin for fire safety. And so it looked like a bomb had gone off, like all these huge trees were down um, in the middle of the campsite and and nobody was there. But we couldn't find anywhere else to camp. And you could walk in from the opposite way, like through the woods, a couple hundred yards. And we brought all our coolers down and we we kind of made camp for a couple nights and it was pretty luxurious. There's nobody around. And these two firefighters came in one day and they're like, how'd you guys get back here? And we're like, but. You know, we, we asked if it was okay. And the four, the park service guy said we could camp anywhere. Um, so long as it was in, it was in the national forest and they're like, yeah, it's cool with us, but you might have, um, like 20 firefighters down here finishing this project. Um, so they might ask you to move, but we're cool with it. And so we thought we were on the gravy train. And then, uh, the next day was Sunday and we, it was one of those things where you, keep saying like, do you want to say mass now? Oh, we just ate breakfast. Let's wait an hour for the fast and all this stuff. And finally we were saying mass at like 11 AM and Scott, it was the celebrant and we're all in our albs and stoles and he's about to like start the sign of the cross. And Chris Forler's like, wait, Scott, before you start. And he points up at the, at the road leading from the highway to the campsite. And there's a white forest service truck. And we, it was like getting caught with your pants down. We we're like, Oh gosh. If they had come like five minutes earlier and we weren't wearing our albs, this would look so much <laughs> less weird. <laughs> and uh, then he waits there. He doesn't even come down to us. And two more trucks come up behind him. And they they drive <laughs> in. And Mitch uh, Menarek was the like one layman in civilian clothes. And we're like, Mitch, you go talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Are they just up on a hill or they're just at a distance? They were at a distance at first. Guys? Right. But then they came down once the all the trucks were. We were we were imagining what the guy in the first truck was saying on the radio. He was probably like, um, <laughs> yeah, I found those guys that are squatting in that campsite um, that we were trying to find earlier. And the next person on the radio was probably like, OK, go ahead and engage them and 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 tell them they need to leave. Um, yeah, they're. <laughs> They appear to do be doing some kind of ceremony. Uh, <laughs> I think I might just wait for you guys. Uh, okay. <laughs> and they come and, well, it was kind of neat because, again, they, they came down and they, they told us, you, you really can't stay here. This campsite's closed. You guys got to leave. And we explained our situation that we're priests. And um, one of the ladies was kind of like, yeah, we're kind of wondering why you were wearing those weird clothes. And she was not too friendly. It's, it even <laughs> turned out she's like, uh, who's Nick? And... Uh, Nick had had his truck there and I guess they ran his plates uh, earlier when they were looking for us and we were out fishing and he's like yeah that's me and she goes yeah and who's Connor and I'm like how would they have my name I said that uh, that's me and she's like oh yeah I thought so we found your uh, expired Wyoming fishing license in your garbage 
I was like, oh, what? man, you went through our garbage. I guess they were really trying to find us to to. I didn't. They didn't write us a ticket or anything like that, but they just. Well, anyways, we were like, can you can we at least get our trucks down here if we need to get out of here fast? Because um, so we kind of ditched mass. Th- thankfully, we hadn't started. We did it later in the evening. That's when the Asian lady gave us the carne asada. So God provides. <laughs> Uh, but it turned out the the head guy in charge was this Hispanic guy Martin, who was the uh, who's kind of the ranger who runs a lot of the like the horse riding people ride horses and mules and stuff in the in the wilderness and he is in charge of a lot of the campsite stuff like that and trails and uh, we were like sorry you know we're we're priests and uh, we we're just trying to get mass done he's like oh yeah no 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 I went to mass this morning at seven because you know it's Sunday and um, I know, I know what you guys are doing. That's, I think that's really cool. And we're like, right on, dude. He's like, yeah, actually, I was, I was thinking about becoming a priest when I, when I was living in Mexico, but then I came here and I got this job and now I have a family and everything. But, you know, a lot of people out here in California, they're not too religious and, and they talk bad about the church, but I just try to keep my mouth shut and if I can, just defend it and blah, blah, blah. So he turned, he turned out to be a really cool guy. And, uh, and then we went, we had to leave and, and we're like, well, maybe we should grab some firewood before we leave. So we, we went up to the top of where we had come in before, and there's all this firewood that had been cut from those trees. And, and we asked Martin, and we're like, hey, can we take some of this wood? And um, he said, yeah, go ahead, man, take it. Like, all right, we loaded up a truck, and, and there was these two people sitting at the campsite where all the wood was, but they couldn't burn it because you weren't allowed to have fires there. And so we walk up, and it's like, six or seven guys all descend on them with three trucks and we're taking their wood and we're like, Hey, is it cool if we take this? And and the dude's like, yeah, man, that's fine. You know, it just came from nature, blah, blah, blah. Typical kind of California <laughs> laid back attitude. But then this, <laughs> this lady who was with them, who was probably our age was hammered drunk. It was, again, it was like noon. And, um, she starts like talking to us and kind of, kind of jabbering a little bit. She's like, who, who are you guys? What are, what are you taking this wood for? And Nick was just kind of joking around and said, oh, we're taking it for charity. And uh, she goes, what charity? And she's getting up from her seat and holding her beer. And she's like getting in his face. And, and I said, uh, Catholic charities. And she's like, huh, Catholic charities. And she looks at his shirt and it's a focus shirt from the 2005 conference. And it must said Catholic on there or something like that. And she just looks at him and she gets this evil look in her eye. And she goes, what are you, a bunch of effing child molesters? Oh, and, and he's like, that's not very nice. We just met and just kind of disengaged and we took away the, the wood, but I thought it was like, so it ran the gamut, you know, of, of here we are just kind of on vacation. We happen to be priests. We all like to camp. We all like to fish and hike. And, um, the reactions that you get are, are very strong, you know? Like it tends to be a lightning rod for people. And um, I, I can say I don't get that very much, that kind of meanness, um, although it's there. But then the last the last encounter we had was when we, were, we went up to the John Muir Wilderness on the other side of the Sierras for a couple nights um, for camping, me, Tom, and Chris. And this uh, big Hispanic family comes and ca- takes the campsite right next to us. And they're... They brought like a chainsaw and were like cutting dead trees and splitting wood and they had coolers and like five tents and guitars and they were up till all and they were singing like praise and worship songs in Spanish. I recognized them from 
being a Hispanic ministry. So I was like, these people are totally Catholic. And sure enough, we, um, we were saying mass one day, just the three of us on our little bear box. And they came up after mass, much like the, the Asian woman. And this guy's like bringing a bunch of firewood. He's like, uh, ustedes ne ocupan leña? And we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll take some firewood. And he's like, uh, los vimos consagrando. We saw you consecrating. And they, they mm. strike up this cold conversation and the ladies are bringing us over um, chicken that they're cooking on the grill with like homemade salsa. And they're like, oh, los padres, padres, hablan español, you speak Spanish. And they they become like fast friends with us. And uh, anyway, we invited them because the next day was Sunday. It was our last day. And we're like, well, we're going to have mass tomorrow before we leave. Do you guys want to come? And they're like super excited. And they bring their guitar and it turns out a husband and wife among them are like leaders of their choir at their church and the whole <laughs> family comes and um mm. we have this spanish mass in the woods on our last day and uh they took a picture with us and everything like that and then they, they all left uh they came the same exact way they they or they left the same exact way they came they they took down their whole camp in like 20 minutes all the kids were they had a little <laughs> it was like every spanish mass a cell phone went off a baby started crying, you know, they were somewhat late. <laughs> it was like, just like being in church, but we were, we happened to be in the wilderness, but no sooner had we finished mass and we were just like cooking breakfast around the fire and packing up our stuff that this dude comes over from the other campsite. And, uh, he's like, Hey man, I, I'm sorry. We missed your mass. And, uh, we're like, Oh, it's all good. It was just, uh, just kind of an informal thing. He's like, I saw that group that you brought. Um, you did you guys plan this and everything and he's like and we're like no they just kind of happened to be camping next to us and and we had mass with him he's like oh i thought you were some group um me and my me and my son tanner here are are joining the church this year i'm doing the adult rcia and he's doing the kid one and and wow uh, my girlfriend's gonna be asking us like if we went to church today and i i guess i can say kinda <laughs> and he, we struck up this conversation for like a half an hour it was just him and his son camping for like two weeks or something. He was teaching him how to fish and taking him hiking and stuff. And I think he was just starved for some dude time. I brought him over some fuel that we hadn't used, some butane for a jet boil. And I'm like, hey, can you can you use this? We can't take it on the plane. He's like, uh, yeah, not really. I use propane, but but I'll find somebody. Hey, I was going to ask you, uh, do you guys want to play some horseshoes? And he'd like set up a horseshoe pit in his campsite. We're like, oh, man, I totally would have, but we're leaving like right now. But he, he seems so sad. I felt really kind of bummed out. But it, the whole thing kind of just taught me, like, why why be self-conscious about this? Like, you you might get the reaction of that lady where there's hostility or you might get the, what are those weird people doing? But more often I've found, um, and it sounds to me like in your Malaysia trip and your Lasu and Rome experiences, like, there's just a goodwill it just in spite of ourselves in spite of all the scandal and the and whatever and our imperfect witness there's still a deep trust of priests and a love for us that is very beautiful story complete it's very true man it is very very true I, honestly it's been kind of difficult to well, i don't know about difficult it's just a new experience to try and grapple with the fact that people treat you differently mm. and um 
I guess that could be good in some ways and it could be bad in other ways because it's like, I guess this is a very specific priest thing, but um, you could like really easily take advantage of that. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's like trying to figure out, I am a priest. Yeah, and I do think that the priesthood is special and unique and um, does it like make me a better person than anybody else? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But like the office of the priesthood, people they reverence it it's and it's unbelievable and it's very humbling to to experience that firsthand um yeah just having like people that you've never ever ever met come up and just be incredibly excited to touch your hand and like just that reality is um i don't know it's uh, obviously it's very new but it's that's a radical thing that's going on there that has um, there's, yeah, there's just a lot. And so just trying to figure out how I interact with the new way that people interact with me is, has been super fun, very challenging at times, but, um, it's certainly been an adventure. (laughs) Like, dude, it was so weird. I would finish celebrating mass at this cathedral in the middle of Malaysia, the diocese of Miri. Okay. Like I have no, if you gave me a map, like a week before me getting there, I wouldn't be able to tell you where I was. Like <laughs> I didn't know anything about this place and about these people. And I finished mass and people are like running up to me to give me money. They have no, they don't have money yeah. and they're trying to give me money because I'm a priest. They're like, I'm, you know, I just celebrated mass for them. Uh, so it's just a bunch of, Hmm. Yeah, a bunch of new experiences, but specifically, I mean, being a priest in in life, I think you're right. The lightning rod analogy is it it just kind of draws different things out of people. Um, Yeah, very, very, very interesting. It will be an interesting life. (laughs) What was your favorite part about the Malaysia trip, Mets? Um. Well, I did. So I was going to ask the question what's the coolest place that y'all have celebrated mass so far? But I was only going to ask that so that I could answer it. So I'll <laughs> give my answer anyways. But when we were flying, when we were, we left on the 13th of June. No, I'm sorry. 13th of July from Los Angeles. So we did like a prep day. That's not right. Was it the 11th? Oh, whatever. So we flew out. Let's say we flew out on the 11th of July. We arrived in Malaysia on the 13th of July. Okay. But we had July 12th because we were traveling around the Pacific. So we flew like towards Japan and Russia took that side flying Mm -hmm. out of LA. We passed the international dateline. So July 12th Mm. was an hour and a half. Huh? Yeah. So we landed at, at 1030 July 12th. In where did we land? In Seoul, South Korea. <laughs> and so we hopped out and we found the airport prayer room, which is definitely like mostly used for Muslims to go in and do their do their prayer time. We had to wait for a couple of guys to leave. And then we came in and took some bookshelves that were in this. It was just like a, a nondescript, like kind of glassy, modern looking place of meditation. Yeah. Their prayer room. 
and we took some bookshelves and turned them on their sides, and I celebrated Mass on the 12th, that was an hour and a half, in Seoul, South Korea, and wow. then we finished, packed up the Mass kit, hopped on the airplane, and flew to Singapore, and then arrived in Malaysia Whoa, uh, on, cool. on the 13th. Yeah. yeah. So, cool. I mean, celebrating Mass there was, was really cool, and I think it was really cool for the whole group as well. Um, yeah, I love that mask kit. I, I think I showed it to both of you guys, but that mm-hmm. thing was dynamite on this mm-hmm. trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was definitely a highlight. But I have to say, I mean, the, the mission trips are very special um, because the students are very detached and just very open. It's like a radical time of grace. And so to see God's power and his hand like so clearly working in people's lives at Mm -hmm. such an intense pitch and at such a high rate of speed is it's just uh, it's very uncommon to see it so intensely and to as a priest to be a part of it um in close up in in our students lives was such a cool privilege to be able to to be there and to walk with them just while they were going through malaysia and um, like growing these students grew like in deep love with Jesus. Um, yeah, I, so I think the people that I've been with so far that the people on that mission trip would be the biggest grace, I think. Um, yeah. And then just like celebrating masses at home with the family that has like a unique, um, and it has a unique sweetness. Yeah. It's like, and that, that one is very comforting and very enjoyable in its own unique way. Whereas like these kind of wild mission trip masses in Korea, like that is very fulfilling in another way. Um, but like coming home and having Chris in his shorts and his polo t-shirt, cause he wants to wear something <laughs> nice while we're having mass in the basement <laughs> as he altar serves for me. Oh, it's mm-hmm. Like that, that has a particular taste that's yeah man. that's satisfying in its own way um yeah, yeah. that's it well it's because like do you guys know what the are you familiar with the clementine chapel in saint peter's do you know what it, that is no i'm not about it. so it's and i this could be like a little bit off but it's i think it's one of the more popular places to like try and say mass at um but the clementine chapel it's like this i mean it's incredibly beautiful but it's the spot, in a sense, like, it's the closest spot that you can say Mass to St. Peter's Bones. So it's, like, in this spot in St. Peter's that was actually, it's either part of or, like, in the same spot of, like, the heart of the original Constantinian Basilica St. Peter's. And so it's, like, you are in the heart of, like, the church, really, at, at that point. So when you do the Scavi tour and you actually see St. Peter's Bones, you go through the Clementine Chapel. So anyway, that was one of the, that was the first morning we were in Rome. Uh, Father Dominic had reserved that for us. So we went there and it's just this like, yeah, kind of surreal experience, similar in a way of like having mass at the Holy Sepulcher of just like you are in the heart of the world, you know, at this point. Um, but then I've reflected on that a lot of like, okay, so getting to say mass in the Clementine Chapel and in the same month, you know, in the same like first two months of priesthood, 
have said mass. Yeah, exactly. Numerous times at my mom and dad's house. And like last week, uh, went over to, um, like Mandy Peary or Mandy Dreyer and her husband, Jason's, and I blessed their house and, and had mass there. And it's just like, I don't know, man, that's pretty, that's pretty crazy Hmm. to think about of like mass in the Clementine chapel, like the heart of the church and then mass in like central Illinois in a living room, you know, um, it's just, it's phenomenal because it's the same, like it's the same mass, it's the same mysteries that you're, you're celebrating, same Eucharist that you're receiving, et cetera. Um, but just that the church is like alive and well in all of those moments is, I don't know, end of thought there. Oh yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? So, um, one of the things I was thinking as we're talking here, um, Rob, you mentioned the church is alive and well in these places. And I think that's true. Yeah. But, um, I've been getting some, finally people are like tweeting and emailing me being like, where, where are you guys? We, we missed the podcast. It only took like three months of being off for people to even notice that we were gone. But, (laughs) um, one of the things that people are desperate to hear about, I think from anybody in church leadership is this McCarrick scandal and some of the, have you, have you been following it much, Mike? I know you've been all over the world. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've heard about it a little bit since being back from Malaysia, but yeah, I've been fairly disconnected. So please. Well, it's pretty, pretty rough stuff. And, yeah. um, there's some stuff out of Lincoln as well that we were jabbering about, but, uh, I haven't read as much about that, but yeah, I know the, like the story of that woman calling us child molesters and, um, just a lot of the, my own kind of shaken faith in the hierarchy, uh, on a human level. It's, um, it's tough stuff, and I think that people want to hear. I mean, my reaction is basically like, as we're talking about how we get this special treatment and we can walk through velvet ropes at Notre Dame Cathedral and be walked by security guards up into the sanctuary. And um, you, I think you even mentioned it, Mike, like you can take advantage. You don't want to take advantage of that. You could see how easy it is to, to abuse people's trust and goodwill toward priests. And I think that's what makes these crimes of uh, against young people or vulnerable people or people in your charge so heinous is because it abuses this thing that's given to us by Christ that people need from us and want from us and therefore trust us and welcome us and, and give us this authority over them to like forgive their sins and to be there when their relatives die or um, when new ones are born and brought into the world. It leads me to think like what I see sometimes in clerical culture is a sort of mutual understanding of like, I won't hold you accountable if you don't hold me accountable because the call to the priesthood is very lofty. Like what you guys are experiencing in these first few months, um, the joy and the love and the zeal and everything like that, um, the way people love you without even knowing who you are, um, it's very, it's humbling. If you're honest with yourself, if you're not a psychopath, you realize like, I'm not worthy of this. Like, who, who am I to be Jesus to these people? Um, I'm not him, but yet I am him because he's chosen me to be him, uh, to speak to them, to comfort them. Uh, but it always reminds me of that great scene in Band of Brothers where 
Captain Winters scolds Buzz for gambling with the men. Mm-hmm. And Buzz thinks he's being cool. He's like, you know, like, you know, it makes him be able to relate to me more if I if I join him. And Winters says, never put yourself in a position to take anything from these men. Like the off chance that he wins at, at poker, like taking money from his subordinates is just like he drew this this really hard line. Like in no way am I ever going to put myself in a position, even if it means costing me like the friendliness or the rapport. Like I love these men too much and I'm asking too much of them, too much trust in me to put myself in any kind of position where I'm possibly going to take anything from them. I'm only to be mm-hmm. giving to them. And that to me is is the picture of the priesthood. And I guess with all these things coming out, substantiated allegations and McCarrick resigning from the College of Cardinals and the kind of deafening silence of a lot of the hierarchy um, on this, making you think like, who knew about this and why did he get promoted? Uh, Bishop Barron put out an article yesterday, which I think was was very good and, and timely, uh, saying that basically we need an independent lay initiative of, to investigate the corruption. You know, like there's serious like backroom handshake deals, serious sexual immorality uh, going on in the in the clergy and the clerical culture. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of ignored um, or looked the other way or people hear things and just give people the benefit of the doubt. But um, the first thing always as a priest, in my mind, like what this was, was like you can take two paths here. You can get so fed up. You could just say, screw this and leave, you know, and say like, I, if I, I can't trust my superiors or if this is the kind of thing that's that's not dealt with, then why why put myself out there to get painted with this brush, you know? Uh, why put myself in a position to be called a child molester by random strangers? Um, it's tempting, but I mean, my my reaction is this other path, which is like, I'm just going to not compromise with myself or others. I'm, there's no... Um, there's no excuses not to be a saint, not to do this the right way, even if it costs me. Like I find the careerism and the backslappery and the grooming for leadership or moving up in the church to be such odious, childish foolishness. It's like if I wanted to get badges and wear hats, I would have joined the Boy Scouts or something. And I am an Eagle Scout, but you know, like I'm not, I just think it's so silly and dumb to to become a Christian so you can get honored or get some award or some etched glass uh, recognition of you're such a great guy. And thanks for being so great. You know, like you, you signed on to be crucified, uh, to be everybody's servant and to die for other people to live. And that goes for every part of your private life, your prayer, your use of alcohol, your um, own sexual integrity, um, your own relationships with other people and your sleep schedule and your being on time to things and considerate of other people and drawing clean boundaries and being firm, being masculine in the authentic sense of generosity and generative and life-giving and protective of, of the flock and um, never in any way abusing the authority you've been given. But I just wanted to share that because I think people are hungry to hear priests talk about this, uh, even though it's not fun to talk about. And I, I get why people want to brush it under the rug. But to me, it's like 16 years after the Boston scandal uh, comes out and the Dallas Charter and all this, like we're the safest place in the world and priests are the least likely to 
to abuse children. And it's not even just children. It's like um, all this kind of rampant pederasty and homosexual uh, activity within the clergy, you know, like stuff that's just so scandalous that like you don't need policies. You just need uh, like the gospel <laughs> to know that that's wrong and that it's a scandal and that it, it sets a bad example and that it harms people. Um, so I guess I wanted to hear your thoughts and that's, I've been thinking and praying a lot about it and thinking about like, what, what can I do? What should I do? What must I do? But you guys being a couple months of priests having this thing come out and this guy was, I, I didn't even know when at the end of June, when the news release came out, I just kind of thought of it as another bad news scandal. But the more I read into it, I'm like, this guy in, in 04 comes out and says that, um, you know, we've taken all these initiatives to hold priests accountable and zero tolerance, and we're going to remove people as soon as they have an allegation against them just to be safe. And, and here he has two substantiated allegations and settlements out, outside of court where they've paid people because he sexually harassed them. And they were young priests and seminarians, and they signed non-disclosure agreements. And then he gets a promotion and made a cardinal after that fact. And like, how did people not know that? The way priests talk about other priests, how did people not know that stuff? It's just beyond belief, um, and it makes you kind of lose trust in the whole thing. But so I, I guess I sympathize a lot with people who are really fed up, especially faithful Catholics, especially people who have gone to bat for the church through all these hard years, especially the grandmas who have to get fingerprinted in order to volunteer at their school functions because we're so serious about background checks. And then you see this at the highest levels. Ugh, it's so disheartening. Um, but I do feel convicted that this can be. Uh, like anything, a moment of, of recommitment to like, I'm not going anybody I know and love. I will not look the other way. If I see them doing something like that, and I will, I will call them to the carpet. That's just the way it's got to be, you know, rant complete. Dude, I appreciate it a lot. And I appreciate you bringing it up. It It is awful. And it like physically makes me a little bit sick. Um, Can you talk more in the mic, but- Mike? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you bringing it up. Um, and it is incredibly tough to hear, especially like the whole first half of this episode has just been talking about how great and what a, a beautiful thing the priesthood is and just how, yeah, how special like people treat you. And yet, like on the other side of it, there's uh, this really dark reality that exists within the church and within the priesthood as well. Um, and honestly, I don't know anything about it. It does. It kills me um, to hear about it. But that's also a way that peop- the people know the church. Like that's when people hear the Catholic church, that is a way that people think about it. And that is super awful and really heartbreaking that when people hear about the Catholic church, they think about this. This is like how how we are known by a lot of people, hmm. and uh, and we the, haven't ever known it any other way. Basically, like I was seventeen in yeah. two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's always been a running joke, um, or a serious grievance. So long as I've been a committed Catholic, that yep. that priest yeah. uh, that there's a sexual abuse problem in the priesthood. Honestly, I didn't realize, just hearing you talk, I 
like I thought it was basically as bad as it could be in 2002 and you know, basically everything that's come out since then that my feeling was like, this is so rock bottom. It just couldn't get any worse mm-hmm. than this. But hearing about specifically, I think what's so scandalous about this is the timeline yeah. of this guy's life and how he not only existed, but actually was promoted within the church. Um, and has continued up until like a few months ago, being an influential kingmaker, like, yeah, you know, with yeah. the congregation of bishops and stuff a close advisor to the Holy Father and and seeing how close he was also with the Dallas charter and yeah. uh, Yeah. The guy saying everything's protected and safe now is the dude who is, um, is breaking all the rules. Yeah. So it's seriously, seriously messed up. Honestly, I don't know. Like I have no coherent thoughts on this except for just strong feelings of anger and upsetness, I guess. If that's a word. Rob, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Same. I wish I, I wish I had more, yeah, maybe coherent thoughts on it. I mean, the emotions are there. It's, um, it just sucks. Like, honestly, I guess it's, you know, kind of a basic way, um, to say it. And like, yeah, all it's also been like, I don't know, like, Far enough, like even even the McCarrick case, um, yeah, man, it's like it's wild to hear, and I don't mean it's like um, not credible or anything like that, um, but it's just uh, it, it just like it's a, it's a question of like how does that happen? Which I know that's like the wrong question, maybe for. Like there needs to be more of an answer from somebody on that, and I wish I had it. Um, yeah, that's the thing is I feel, but I don't. Yeah, yeah I that, feel like maybe part that's of, where I'm sitting. Part of the clergy, but also a lowly young priest. You know, like I can't answer these questions. This has to come from up top, and there's no. I mean, if something's not done by someone who's not me at a high level, like we're just gonna keep dealing with this for the next hundred years. You know, like this reputation doesn't just go away unless you do some serious sunlight sterilization. You know what I mean? Like people with some real courage to come and say, hey, I did a bad thing. I did the wrong thing and I'm not afraid of suffering the consequences. You know, like you need some conversions. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. It's the same thing. It's like, I mean, you could talk about it. I don't know, like, and I'm not even like hesitant to talk about stuff at that level. Certainly, I mean, because, but it's the same thing. It's like, um, I mean, it kind of holds like the experience and like the nastiness of like these stories that are coming out, like, hold very much in line to like what I've learned about what sin is. You know what I mean? And it, but it doesn't like it still doesn't answer that question in in the concrete like here and now, um, necessarily. So. Then on the flip side, it's like, of course, yeah, like, of course, conversions at, at whatever level. It's the same thing. It's like even what you were talking about, Connor, of like, what can we do? Well, like, try to be saints, uh, try to live very, very transparently and um, all of that without kind of like, I guess I, I have become very aware just 
over the past couple years, really, and I haven't thought about it, honestly, concretely since I've been ordained of like, I think the dangers in like a Superman complex of like, I'm going to be a really good priest to show people that, um, you know, the priesthood is still good and this great gift and which I do hope that's a fruit of my life. Um, but you can't become a priest just to like save the church from itself either. Um, so I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, part of what insulated me from all this stuff in the early two thousands when I was first really taking my faith seriously and meeting good priests, priests that I could identify with and then considering the priesthood, entering the seminary, all that stuff. Why, why this stuff never really bothered me was because I didn't really fall in love with the church. The church was nothing to me, uh, except the means to get God. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I loved was God, Christ, um, the sacraments, and you needed to have the church to have those things. And, yeah, the church is imperfect, and, and it's, it's easier somewhat to also insulate yourself from the the sinfulness of of the human institution of the church when you look back at, like, the Renaissance popes with their grandchildren and making them cardinals and all this stuff, their illegitimate children, and um, all the money scandals and abuse of power that you see in sure. church history, and you say, you know, these quips, like, that's... Pope that talked to Napoleon, who said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe the church off the face of the earth," and he says, "Like, sir, what the bishops and priests have failed to do over 1,700 years, you will certainly fail to." Like we laugh at that stuff, but then once, once it comes to real fine point in your own time and place, and to me, it's like this is worse. <laughs> you know, I'd rather have a, an openly profligate pope, who mm -hmm. everyone can agree is a uh, wicked man, but just happens to hold the office of the successor of Peter, then this sort of, uh, this really insidious secrecy thing where there's like this thing that causes people to lack trust, understandably, mm -hmm. in us and our superiors. And um, so I guess now it's it's harder for me to not need the church as much to be good um, because I'm so tied up in this now. You know, like my credibility mm. as a preacher, as a person, as a um, friend to people, as their priest is tied up in all these politics and all these headlines and this stuff. Um, but I think that still comes down to like, it's God. That's, that's what you're after is Jesus, the word incarnate, and the church still is the way to get him. Um, the way to receive him, the way to encounter him is through the mass, through confession, and it still requires trust in the priesthood and the priest, sinful as he might be. Um, I'm just looking at this poem a little girl wrote me. Sophia, I just happen to have it at my bookstand here on the desk. It says, Wonderful Priest. Um, she was from my parish and she gave me a, a drawing of the front of our church in Blue Island and she wrote this poem your words are like yeast in the dough of my soul your words in confession would renew and freshen leaving such a lasting impression and lifting out of depression my spirit and I really loved your jam sessions you are devoted Father Connor and deserve so much honor no one can claim it will be the same without your presence 
spreading Christ-like pleasance wherever you go. Thank you, Father Connor from Sophia. I didn't plan that. That just happens to be sitting in front of me. But you look at stuff like that and the way that that people have become part of my life and I've become part of their life, it's all dependent on trust in this institution. And God Hmm. forbid that that ever be lost because it's really high stakes. Do you want to hear some Irish flute? No, 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 not yet. Yeah, no. Honestly, <laughs> I think no. this is getting yeah. pretty sad. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it's incredibly sad. And I I think what's so frustrating and infuriating about it is like, like I feel lied to. Yeah, me I too. that's it. I feel lied to. I feel like I went to bat for you guys. I've been towing the line and, and saying all the stuff like priests are less likely to be abusers than any, you know, family member or other. And the new leaf has been turned over. Oh, that crap. Those are the teachers of the past. And yeah. don't worry, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And like, I was sold on that. Me too. I was totally sold on that. Um, and the guy who's turning the leaf over is also like hiding a bunch of stuff behind him. You know, like, yeah, I, I feel lied to. And it stinks because it's so insidious. Like it does tell this lie that you can't trust the church and you can't trust the people in the church. And like once you can't trust, yeah, bishops and your own priests and your own brothers, like that's it's just really shaky ground to be on. And I know that that's a lie in in some ways. And yet, like it's obviously true in other ways. Like, yeah, there are people that were trusted that did not uh, earn earn that trust. It was given cheaply. It was it was one at some stupid cost. And they just got moved up and they were put in positions that uh, they had too much. They had the wrong power and they were making decisions that they had no business making. And like, why? Why does that keep happening? I wish I wish. Yeah, I wish that we had a terrible pope instead of this. Like Mm -hmm. exactly the same sentiment because you could see it. It would be out there and you'd just be able to identify it and know it. But this is like interwoven on an institutional level that um, I don't know it stinks that I thought we were done with. Yep. Which is much easier to say like, oh yeah, yeah, that happened. But now it's like there's a shark in the water and I have no idea where the shark is. Yep. But I feel like it could eat anything at any moment, you know? So I don't know. I I don't know what to do moving forward. I feel like somebody needs to come in and just like legitimately investigate top to bottom. Um, I don't know. Is it bishops? Is it dioceses? What What was the story in Lincoln? Well, in Lincoln, the um, the, I was just there. The old um, the vocation director from like, and he was a long time vocation director up until like the mid nineties or something. Um. There's just, you know, like allegations coming out with him and like really inappropriate relationships with certain seminarians. And this guy was actually pastor at the the Newman Center from I think it was like 70 until the mid 90s. And um, yeah, maybe that one and maybe that one is like closer to my heart because I love Lincoln so much and it was so formative for me. And, um, 
yeah, it's just, and, and so it's like, it, it, you know, at one sense, it's just kind of like hearing, okay, like that, it's, it's not a, a perfect place at, at all, you know, at all. And, and real like vile abuses can happen anywhere. And so I guess like maybe that, so that's more specific for me. Maybe I have more thoughts on that than like the McCarrick case and like the level of Cardinal and everything like that. Um, but the immediate temptation for me with the, the Lincoln. So I get, and I think, I mean, this is a pretty serious topic. So maybe to give a little bit of background, if this goes on the air is that, um, the, I spent two years, uh, with focus in Lincoln, Nebraska, which were, I mean, tremendously formative years, um, for me, both at the priests out there and the people out there and the diocese out there, um, et cetera. Huge, huge, huge region, reason I'm a priest today was because of my years out there. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's just so the temptation then is to say, oh, man, like, was this all going on when I was there and I didn't see it? Or like, was this, um, you know, it, it's almost like you want to throw the you know, very kind of easy way to say it is like you want to there's a temptation to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Of saying like, um, you, you know, oh, man, just I don't know who to trust. I'm not going to trust anybody. And. But at the same time, like, I guess I've just been going back, um, I don't know, through the past week or whatever, and, like, just giving thanks for, like, the really, really good priests and people that I experienced out there. And then, like, I think what we're talking about is kind of, like, the question of an institutional level thing. Is, like, the system right now, like, does it need to be looked at in a way that, like, this can't be hidden anymore and i think the obvious question to that is is yes but i have like no idea past that you know Uh, because it's like yes any any institution that could hide something um just that's disgusting and protect it like yeah dude i mean needs the hammer like needs to be looked at um, but like, I don't know. I, I, and so it's like, that's maybe where I'm torn is because like, of course, of course, like, yes, there's just no, I can't say that like emphatically enough because it's like so self-evident that like, if it was one case that came out, yes, like it's, it, it has to be looked at, investigated, like you name it. Um, but but then it, it's like so close to my heart, like this, um, you know, it's we're just talking about the same institution that is like had such a deep like and positive impact on my life. Helped me to know like who and what the church is and who Jesus is and everything like that. So it's like. So you have to, I think, also, in a sense, fight that temptation to just, like, want to obliterate it in your own heart and not trust anybody and run away from it and just kind of say F it, you know? Um, So, I don't know, past that. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I really, I agree a lot with the idea that like just, it's so tempting to throw the baby out with the bathwater and that oftentimes and particularly in this situation, like it's much harder to slog through the good and the bad and really to be, yeah, to take the whole church and then to be able to look at it and say like, okay, yeah, there are good priests and bad priests in it. And I have been very, very blessed to have spent a lot of time with good, good priests and to be formed by some of the great beauties of the church. And at the same time, like there is a lot of evil there and like, you have to be present. You can't throw the whole thing out. You have to be present to the good and the bad so that you can call the bad out and that you can cling on to the good, you know? Um, but if you just, if you cast it, but that's much harder, that's much more difficult than just saying, forget it. Like we've tried to do this before we've gone down this path. Um, yeah. Well, and I guess it's like maybe, maybe like a little bit more, like a little bit more spiritual. I don't know. But it's like we can't be like as men, as as human beings, like we can't be islands. Like we have to be able to trust somebody else in our lives. And I think what it hits so hard is like, yeah, like and maybe this is more the McCarrick stuff. It's like, dang, dude, that's a big thing to say, like, we can't trust this or like that didn't work or whatever. That's a that's a big, big thing. Um, because that's just true in life. Like you have to trust certain people, like just as you have to have friends and you have to have like, you know, in priesthood, like I get that you gotta have like brother priests that you can like talk to and reach out to and everything. I mean, it's, you just have to do it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where that was going. Um, but that's like a, when something like this, or I mean something like this, like the fact that this happened and is like coming out in this way, um, man, it it causes tension on on that um, on all the levels, on on so many levels that you can't almost like pinpoint one to then say like that's it, like that's what we need to do, or that's what needs to happen, or. Um, Whatever, you know, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. like in the in the world of addiction, it's, I mean, you used the phrase rock bottom earlier, Mike. It's when you, when you realize you cannot help yourself, the church needs to hit rock bottom and realize, like, we cannot, we cannot run this thing without God. And I feel like I see it all the time. I sometimes feel it myself, and I see it around me that we're trying to, revitalize the church or or run the church or govern the church as if God doesn't exist and that we don't need him that if we just get the right policies or the right people or allocate our resources the right way then this will this will go but uh, we're no good to anybody if we're not living our lives completely dependent on Christ and his providence yeah but what does that mean it means that you are uh, taking risks and you are willing to die. You're willing to lose your good name. You're willing to suffer uh, reproach and insult, dishonor, um, so that you can cling to, to Christ alone. 
And none of these titles, none of this property, none of this money, none of this honor means a darn thing mm. if Jesus isn't brought to bear in the world through the church. Um, and we need saints. We need radical witnesses. Um, all the times in the church that have been really tough, God raises up people. The St. Francis's, the Dominics, the Benedicts, the Teresas of Avila, the Catherines of Siena, Mother's Teresa, where it's just like, yeah, here's my life. I'm laying it out there. I, I don't want anything from you. I only want to give you Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do. Do you want to have some tin whistle now? Dude, still no. <laughs> well, I don't think we're quite there. We're closer. I do have to go get uh, say the mass, though, at Newman here in okay. a few minutes. But uh, on a lighter note, I am uh, writing songs now again. I think I might make a resolution to try to write a new song every month. I, mm, I finished one cool. the other night. Still kind of working on it, but um, Dude, it's one thing is that it? I... Say it. Is it? I mean, because, well... Say it. <laughs> I mean, what, what you're talking about on an individual level is like... It, it, it's super true. On As individuals, we need to be willing to literally give up everything and to, to lay down our life and probably more likely in the States, our reputation and our, our honor... Um, yeah, our good name, even our identity as public persons, like to be able to lay all that down as individuals, we have to be able to do that. And that was a big grace. Actually, one of the things that I experienced over in on the mission trip was just this realization that God has given has given me everything. Like he has been so overabundantly generous to me and to my family and the gift of this vocation and like I could not ask for more. And yet God just keeps showering down more and more. And there was a really authentic movement in my own heart, especially working with some of the Malaysian students and some of the college students that I was with to just say, like, I, I want to give up all of this. I want to give up everything so that I can, because that's what Jesus did for us. And I want to do the same thing for these students, like for these people I would be more than happy to give up everything just so that I could be with them. And that doesn't mean like give up the vocation or anything like that. But like I want to be willing to look like an idiot and step into a conversation and make myself um, small so that someone else can feel big or um, yeah, like go way out of my way for the person who isn't included in the conversation, even though I don't want to. But if I can give up that little comfort, like for that person, I actually want to do that in, in very, very small ways. Um, so I, that's like, I think that's really at the heart of what has to happen as individuals. But I mean, this is kind of a big statement, but like, does the church, are we willing to do that or to say that? Like, would we be willing to give up literally everything so that heinous, garbage disgusting sin like this 
does not exist in the church anymore. Because it's like when I talk to people about, you know, in confession, about watching, uh, you know, like getting caught in, in porn addiction. Like, if you come at this thing halfway, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to to change everything if you actually want to to get this poison out of you. Like, if we want to live in this new way that Jesus presents to us, not saying that we have to freely just like dump all of our, whatever it means to give up everything, but that are we willing for God to take away everything so that we can just have him, so that we can have him instead of cling on to institutional problems like that, that may and probably still do exist even now. Is the church on an institutional level in the States willing to give up everything to be a holy church? Because if we're called to do that individually, like the church is called to do that as well. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know if we're willing to do that. Like I can feel even myself, I want to hold on to stuff here in the Diocese of Atlanta. Like I want to be, you know, I want to work at the cathedral and help with the young adult group down there because they're super kind and they give you like great honor and, and that's really nice. And I don't want to give up those things. Like I should be, I, I need to be willing to die to even those things to, to all of it. And I don't know if, if institutionally, like we cling on to a lot of stuff. We're going to hold on to things and fight it tooth and nail. Um, so I don't know. That's my question is, is the church in the States willing to give up everything to be a holy church? Well, guys, we might have to leave it at that question. I got to go say mass. Go be a priest. Do it. Okay. I'm glad we talked about this. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, bro, pray for I pray for Don't you every day. Mass. Pray for me. Yeah, man. Okay, let's talk soon. Yeah, definitely. All right. See you. Bye. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.